Amen. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, glory to you, God. Here we are, Lord. We're in front of you as a congregation. In your midst, Lord, we can celebrate. We can celebrate individually. But today, as we, we just hoop and holler for you, God, you are a great, loving God. No matter where we are in life, rich, poor, hurt, well, discouraged, excited, oh God, to you be the glory in whatever state we are in. And God, we ask that this morning that, that you, would, you would bless us in a way that we need. We wanna hear your word, we wanna hear your voice speak. So pierce our heart, Lord God, to you be the glory this morning. Lord, let us put all distractions at your feet and aside. Let us enjoy you. Oh, speak now, God. And the church says, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Oh, I said this last service. I get to say it again. Is There's nothing like a church that actually worships. Amen. I mean, here you are. This is amazing. You know, so often we, we miss out on, on that. You know, there are many churches where it's a spectator sport. And that's a sad, sad place to be because you know what? Is we are going to be rejoicing in heaven and worshiping in heaven. So this is where we practice. It's good. And it's sad. If you don't like to worship, you got to rethink heaven because that's what we're going to be doing up there. It's a good place. It's a good thing. And it's a joy in our heart to worship our God. We prepare now. You know, so, so often we forget that this is the practice ground. This is the training ground. This is not a, a participating, a participatory, non-participatory sport. Blah. It's a sport that we are in together. We're all on the field. You know, last, last week I shared with you as we were talking about a spiritual battle that we are in, and I used the analogy of the Queen Mary. You know, in, in peacetime, she was a luxury liner that carried three thousand passengers in wartime they transformed her to the gray ghost all luxury was taken off she could handle 14,000 passengers why because it was her duty it's our duty we got to step up so often we forget that this is war we're in a peace mind mind mentality so we'll often pursue you know selfish pursuits what can I do to be more happy more comfortable more you know more at ease but in wartime, you ask questions like, how can I further the cause? How can I help get what we need, victory? See, that's the difference. And so many Christians so often are living in a peace mind mentality, and we need to understand that this is a battle, and we need to step up. It's our duty to be men and women of God prepared for it whenever it comes. And I want to share with you, as Paul writes in Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 11, he says this, Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Right there, look at that verse. You see, we're in a battle. And he says, don't just put on a piece of armor. He puts on, he says, put on the full armor. Why? Because you put armor on where? For battle. You don't put on for going to the beach, for relaxing. You get it on because you realize this is something I got to prepare for. You know, you go, you go in, into war now, you put on a Kevlar suit. You know, you got your vest on. Why? So it can stop the attack. And church, we have to make sure that we are well prepared because we are under attack. And it may not be something physical. This is a spiritual attack. And each of us are going to be facing it. And you've already faced some, I bet. And you're maybe facing some now. And I tell you, it's not going to stop until we're in glory. 
And so Paul says this in verse 12. He goes, for the, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's a mouthful. But what does that mean? See, this is a ranking system. This is, this is who we're up against. And, and so I want to I wanna describe it a little bit for you today so you know what you're fighting and what this battle is and so you can start to prepare. See, we think of that idea of the, the rulers. What is the rulers? Where the rulers are demons over, over nations. See, we don't, we don't think this way. You know, there, there's, a, there's demons that are, are influencing Washington. You go, well, duh. You know, but it's a reality. And, and yes, over state capitals, over those people in charge, they're the ones that are influencing and wanting to impact. And so there was those demons, those rulers, but we also have the powers. What are powers? Well, these are demons that, that possess humans. A lot of people think human possession, you know, that took place in Jesus' time. That's in the Bible, right? We're actually gonna see a verse about that today. And we think that in terms of, oh, that was then. It's not in our culture, maybe in third world cultures. No, it's today. I mean, some of the people out there are nuts. And some of them are just plain nuts. And some of them are, are possessed. And we blame it on mental illness a lot of times. A lot of times we'll blame it on, on, on drug use. And we medicate. I tell you, Satan is rampant. His evil ones are about his business today in that regard. Then there's the world forces of darkness. Now, what is this? Now, these are demons in charge of Satan's business. That would be the drug and sex trade. That would be pornography. That, that would be even Hollywood. You know, what's going on? The entertainment industry. They are influencing it. They are influencing his work. And a lot of times, sometimes it's in the school systems of what they're teaching. And so we see that they are influencing there and then also in the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. These are demons in charge of religion. Satan loves religion. He's all about it. That's why there's so many. There's so many cults. There's so many ways to, the roof, to, to, to heaven, right? There's all these different religions and that's why Paul warns, be careful of doctrines of demons even in the Christian church. And so these rulers, these people want to influence us. These evil, I shouldn't say people, these demons. And he uses different tools and tactics. And church, he is organized. He's been working with the human condition for millennium. He's been working with them for, since we got here, manipulating. He knows how we work better than we do. And so we have to be prepared. We can't have the idea that, oh, everything's fine. The reality is now. We can't just wait for the battle. Satan is the one that chooses the battleground, and so we have to be ready. That's why I'm challenging you these last two weeks about a lifestyle of ready. You gotta have this lifestyle ready to go, prepared now. Because that battle could come tomorrow. That battle could come in a year. We don't know, but the reality is here. And the wonderful thing is, if you are ready, you're going to be in charge. You're going to be, sorry about this, but you're going to be in God's special unit, I'll call it. Because a lot of Christians aren't. 
See, God, he wants us to be prepared because what? So we can impact people for him. And that sends Satan's plans in a loop. He can't handle it. See, we're like the insurgency behind enemy lines. That's what a Christian is. We're the ones that disrupt things because we stand for truth. We stand for righteousness. We stand for, for God's goodness. And the world doesn't like that. And Satan doesn't like that. I want to share a little bit more about this insurgency idea. I'm going to look at Matthew real quick. There's a couple verses here. In Matthew 8, verse 28, it says this. And he came to the other side of the country, to, Gal, uh, to Gatteris, excuse me. Two men who were demon-possessed met him, and they were coming out of the tombs. And they were extremely violent, and no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, what business do you have with each other, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? You see, the demons, they know they were doomed and they know that there's a time of their end is, is imminent. It's coming. They understand it. But they were not expecting Jesus to come to earth, the Son of God. So they're surprised. They're going, what? Are you here to torment us now? What are you here for? It's not time yet. See, Jesus is going, I've got a plan. He came. Why? His insurgency. He's got, he's got plans for us all to disrupt the enemy to knock him off his game, not to be victims, but to be who we are in God, victorious. And Christians need to grab hold of the idea that we are here for a purpose. And we are strong in Christ, not alone. And if we aren't well prepared, you know what? We're not gonna stand firm. So we have to get prepared. And we've got to go with this new mentality. And I wrote the mentality like this. You, when you're tempted, we can remind Satan he's doomed because he already knows it. So do his demons. They know that they're doomed. You can say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to follow you because you're on the losing side. You're the loser. And I am here to stand firm for my God. Church, we have to understand that's what we're to do. That's who we are called to be. Because why? You chose to be on Jesus' side. Because remember, God is for you. I talked about that last week, how God is for us. Before he was not for us, because we were against him. So let, let me remind you, maybe you, you weren't here last week, maybe you're not a believer, wherever you're at. See, if you're not on Jesus' side, you're not on God's side, you're warring against him. You go, well, I don't have anything against God. Well, I'm sorry, there's no Switzerland, all right? There's either God's side or the enemy's side. That is the truth. That is reality. And if you're not on God's side, he's against you. You go, God's against me? Yes, if you're not on his side. Let me remind you of something just wonderful. And as you see in Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 31, and it says, it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? See, it doesn't matter if Satan comes up against you because he's not the creator. He's not the end-all, be-all. He's just the guy that likes to, like to cause issues. 
He, he doesn't like you. But you know what? Who does love you? Our God. Who does everything according to his will. And he knows what's best. And he knows everything. He's not dependent on anyone. And that is our God that we can grab hold of and love on. And so church, I want to I remind you of what we kind of talked about a little bit. As I talked about these things last week. And I, t- I challenged you to make your stand committed to truth. You remember that? A lot of times, you know, we need, we need to be having the belt of truth around us. The belt is the belt that holds everything together. The truth of God is what holds us tight. And we've got to adhere to that God's truth, not man's truth. And we need to follow that. That's what we're, we're here to do. And that will help us stand firm. But the other one is this, is we need to take up, we, we, we need to uh, make your life reflect godly righteousness. See, the world has their own idea of righteousness. God has his. Righteousness is a beautiful thing. It's integrity. It's purity of life. It's virtue. It's rightness. And you know what that is, and it feels good. And that's how we are to live. We're to reflect that to the world, and Satan's not going to like that. Because when you aren't living rightly, Satan has an end. He has an end to get at you. He has an end to knock, out, knock you off your game. So we have to stand in his truth and in that, that righteousness will come out. But then we see the byproduct of that is we see this wonderful thing is that you need to make yourself ready with the gospel of peace. See, the gospel of peace. See, the world doesn't understand true peace. See, peace is when you're no longer warring with God. Peace is when you know your eternal destination. Peace is when you realize that, you know what, your sins are forgiven, and though you aren't perfect, your God is, and he has made you perfect. He sanctified you. He's made you right. And so now you are no longer, as I was sharing before, at war with God because he's for you. As it reads in Romans, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he made you right, justified. And you have peace. I mean, how many people are afraid of death? Many of us, maybe we're just sitting there going, I don't really want to die. No. But the reality is we don't have anything to fear. When, when a loved one we know dies and goes to glory, oh, we, we're sad, but we're not like, that, that was the end. No, we're going, we'll see him again. We have hope. We have this peace that the world so misses They miss because they are at war with God. But a Christian, we get to share that peace with the world. You're armed with it. But there's three more I want you to get today. And the first one is this. I I want to challenge you. Make your faith dependable. Make your faith dependable. Many Christians, they have wishy-washy faith. We kind of like, I'm going to believe that today, and then I'm going to go to this church. I'll believe that tomorrow. Then I'm going to go over here. I'm going to believe that. And we're not grounded in faith. We are grounded in maybe, you know, circumstances. We aren't grounded in faith. We're grounded in feelings, emotions, whatever gets me at that point. We have to understand that we are men and women of faith. And we need to have it, we need to have it dependable. That means it needs to be strong. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, it says, In addition to all, take up 
the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, the shield of faith. Now, Paul is talking about the shield as the Romans would use. And this shield, that there was two types. There was a smaller one, and then the larger one was about the size of a door. And the centurions would have this, and so when they were under attack, they could hold their line, and they would all make a virtual wall, and they would stand behind it. Then the soldiers behind them would lift their shields up and put it over the soldiers in front of them and themselves, making themselves a total barricade against the flaming arrows that would rain down on them. Now, what would extinguish the arrows? Well, they would put leather over these, these shields, and then they would wet the leather, and so when the arrow would hit it, it would just burn itself out. Church, that would save them, because if they didn't have that leather, they didn't have the, the wet on it, it would burn, and it would cause catastrophe for the line. And so as Christians, where we need to be dependable for each other and for yourself is we need to be prepared for battle and know that where faith is dependable, that when the evil happens, when the schemes of the devil come, we're able to stand with our brothers and sisters and so we can help in that process. See, church, understand this. Faith is about dependence on God. See, we have to be dependent on God. And many of us, we aren't living a life of dependence. We're living a life of, 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 you know, we're dependent on ourselves. We can do it all ourselves. We're not depending on God. I think of faith as this. Faith is a noun, but it also is a verb, which means it's an action. It means something that you do. You have to put your faith into action. And many Christians aren't. Let me give you a great example that all of you will hate. I'm going to talk about money. Because we know money is like, oh, okay. The majority of Christians give less than 1% to the church. Wow. That's a sad place to be. Because why? Well, no, no, no. I worked hard at that. It's my money. Really? Who gave you the intellect? Remember that. But also we kind of go, well, I, I can't survive on other things. Maybe if I have anything left over, maybe then. See, we always give God the, the surplus, but where we're supposed to give him is the first fruits. That's what he's called us to do. But we can't. We just won't. Oh, I can't. Because why? You're not depending on God. You go, what about me? How come I, you know, I, I, I can't do that? That's not right. It's sad. See, you're not trusting God with that. You're not working out your life when you say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, and now I'm going to build my life on what is left, and I'm going to trust you to help me in that. But many Christians don't. They don't step out in that dependence. See, that's an easy one to grab hold of. But there are other things that we're not dependent on, and it could be maybe, you know, oh, you know, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to live for God. I want to live for me. I want to live in the peacetime mentality when in reality you're at war. Uh, I, I don't want to do those certain things that makes me uncomfortable. I don't, want to, I don't want to take that step. I want to challenge you, even this week or beyond. I want to challenge you. It's really hard, but start to map out your life. I want you to go take, uh, I want you to each day take a step of faith. Each day. I mean, what, what could one be? Well, it could be giving, sure. 
It could be maybe you need to reconcile with that person. Forgive them, even though they're the ones that did you wrong. Maybe you need to forget. You know, we, we need to step forward in that faith, going forward, going, I'm going to trust you. Maybe it's a financial decision. You say, God, I'm going to trust you in this. I'm, I'm going to take that position, and maybe it's not going to pay me as well, but I'm going to go there because I feel you calling me. Or maybe there's something else in, in a relationship, or, or maybe it's a, an unresolved sin that you need to say, God, I need your help in this to get beyond. See, we forget a lot of times when we approach sin, you know, maybe you have an addiction problem. Maybe you have, you keep going back to that website. Maybe you're, you keep doing something and you don't think you can get over that. See, you know what grace is, church? Grace is the ability to do what you cannot do on your own. That's what God gives. And so for the believer, you want to live a righteous life, you want to take a step of righteousness and say, you know what, I am not going to live in sin anymore. I am not going to have, you know, have, practice premarital sex. I am not going to do whatever that is. I am going to step forward in that. It's going to be hard. And you say, God, give me more grace. I will take the steps that I can take, but I need the grace to stand. See, that's a step of faith. And we're called to live like that. And I tell you, your faith will get stronger with practice because you're going to fail. But when you get back up and you keep going and you're going to go for it, you know what? You're going to get stronger with it. It's just like working out. You get stronger with practice. It's just like, it's just like when you're riding a bike, you get stronger. You're not so wobbly as you were the first time. You get stronger. You get better at it. It's just like when you start learning a different language. The more you practice, the stronger you become in it. It's just like your faith. The more you practice, and we need to be men and women who are going after it. But the next one I want you to grab hold of is this. Make your mind ready with confidence. See, a lot of times our minds they aren't people, or excuse me, our minds aren't filled with confidence. We're wishy-washy saints. We're not sure about much. We're a little bit wondering about our salvation. We're wondering if this is true of the Bible. You know, God said to love, but then if I love everybody, and then you, know, you're just, you don't have the confidence you need. You've got to get this tool strong with confidence. That's why Paul writes this. He says, put and take up the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. See, what's a helmet? It's something that guards the noggin, right? You ever see a little kid? Anybody have a little kid? And maybe you've had that little one, and you, you put that helmet on that little boy, and he just goes, yeah. And he starts running into walls. It's because he's amazing. Because why? He just knows he's indestructible. He's just got this helmet on. I can hit anything because this is my confidence. I can do it. And you're just like, don't do that too hard. You know? But the reality is that he has confidence. That child has confidence in what he's doing. And you kind of go like, okay, well, how do I get this confidence? You know how a Christian gets confidence? Doctrine. And that is not taught in many churches these days. We actually teach doctrine here. Actually, I want to do a little commercial. In uh, uh, weeks following Easter, we're going to start a series called Seven Truths. We're going to be looking at some doctrinal issues. 
of where we stand on things as a church and where you should stand on something as a believer. Because the Bible is full of doctrine. Did you know the first 11 chapters of Romans is all doctrine? Paul is not writing to scholars. He's writing to new believers. Why is it important? Because if you're a new believer, he wants to teach you the truths going, hey, when you're saved, you're not gonna lose your salvation. What are the promises of God? What does it mean to be sanctified? All these strengths he wants people to know, so why? They don't buy into lies. That's what he wants to do. And then the following chapters is real life application. Go to Galatians. You've got to see in Galatians, it is the first four chapters is all doctrine, then application. Ephesians, the first three chapters is all doctrine, then application. Colossians, the first two chapters is doctrine. What, what are we hearing here? You think it's important? We've got to learn it. Because this reinforces not only your faith, this also reinforces the truth. This reinforces who you are. You will understand righteousness better. You will understand who you are in God better. You will have this confidence that the world doesn't understand. Church, understand the helmet of salvation is assurance of salvation resulting in confidence. So if you're not worried about your salvation and you have confidence, think about how you can stand strong for God. See, many people don't dwell on the fact that, well, I'm saved. You know, I know I'm saved, but, you know, they don't dwell on the fact of what does that mean? That means you're new. That means you're a new creature. That means you're somebody that can live it out for God. That's the depths of salvation. Your life is new, so that means you can live differently than the world. Oh, that's a good one. And we got to grab hold of that. But the sad part is Satan's going to come at you. He's going to come at you in two great big ways. And the first one is discouragement. We don't even like this word. How many people have felt discouraged maybe this week or this year? How many of you are lying? Okay. The thing is, is boy, we get discouraged. I mean, Satan comes at us with discouragement because we fail. You might fail stepping out on faith. Like you say, you, you say to God, okay, God, I'm going I'm to give you 8% of my income. And then you go, I can't do it. And you feel terrible. And Satan goes, see, you're a loser. You're not saved. And you get discouraged. Or maybe you fall back into a sin that you think you, you, you had victory over. And you know, that it's what happens is like you get this mountaintop experience. You're flying high and you're doing like righteous acts and you just know God's on your side. And then the next day you're down in the mud because you blew it. Don't you hate that? And Satan goes, see, See, you can't do it. You can't live like you're supposed to live. You're not saved. You're, you're not real. You can't handle that. Or maybe there's an unresolved conflict. And there's this, this problem keeps popping its head up. And you're just like, I can't get a hold of this. These people just come against me. I'm always whining. I'm always complaining. And Satan goes, yeah, you're a complainer. No Christian likes to complain. And so you get this discouragement. And I, I think of that, the story of Elijah. I mean, here's a, here's a saint, a prophet of God, and he has the biggest mountaintop experience, I think, in the Bible. What an amazing experience. Is. All of Baal's prophets are mocking him. And he says, okay, I'm gonna call down fire from heaven. You call to your God, and I'll call to my God. 
and they don't do it. And that God, their God doesn't show up, but Elijah's God shows up and burns up both altars. And then, to make it even better, he kills 300 prophets of Baal. It's like, yeah! And he gets, and he has, he's victorious. And then what's the story? We all know. Jezebel, uh, this woman, comes in, and she just makes his life terrible and scares him, and he runs away and hides in a cave. I mean, after all that God had done, he gets discouraged by an evil person. And God encourages him, and he says, you know what? There are 7,000 just like you who didn't kneel. You can do it too. You're not alone in this. You can keep going. Jesus, he tells us to keep praying. He tells us to keep going. He uses the parable of the woman that wants justice. She goes, please give me justice. He keeps going back to the, to the judge. And the women of that day, no one wanted to pay any attention to. And she'd been, she'd been treated poorly. And she wanted justice. And she kept annoying the judge until he would listen. And that's why Jesus says this in John chapter 14. He says, I'm leaving, or excuse me, excuse me in the other one, in Luke. He says, now I'm telling you uh, this, uh, them a parable to show that all times you ought to, at all times you ought to pray and not lose heart. See, when you get, when you get discouraged, you're so tempted to give up. What, what God wants us to do is keep praying. Even when you're in your cave and you feel like you've blown it, keep praying because God will come alongside you. God will encourage you. He does. Don't give up. But then Satan comes out you going, sure, okay. What about doubt? Doubt's a big one. Many Christians face doubt every day going, really, am I saved? Am I, am I truly saved? Because I don't know. I, I, I wonder where, where God is in all of this and, and so I just don't feel it. And, and maybe you're one of those people that you know, accepted Jesus at, at a camp when you were like a teenager. And now you're going, you're wondering, am I saved? And, and you know what I'm gonna tell you? I don't know. I don't know where you stand in your salvation. And each of us have to answer for that. But we know that God said this to the disciples. He said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I know that God gives the believer peace. And that's the Holy Spirit. And he gives you a peace knowing that you are assured of your salvation. Now, if you are not assured of that and you're not experiencing your peace, there might be two reasons why. The first one is you probably are harboring a sin in your life. You are holding maybe on to bitterness. You are holding on to something that you shouldn't be holding on to. Maybe you're just dabbling in sin and you just know you're wondering where God is. He can't give you peace if you are living an unrighteous life. You want to know why so many people are angst and they don't like what we preach here? Because they are not living a righteous life. Ooh, that hurts. But then there's the other. Maybe you're not saved. And you can look at your life and you said that prayer, 
but there is no life change. There's nothing. See, we understand that we need to be people that take stock in who we are in Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians, it says, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize about this about yourselves? That Jesus is in you unless indeed you fail the test. You see, we're to make sure. And I know in many churches and even ours, as Jesus says, there's going to be tares among the wheat. There's going to be people that give lip service to God and they're not saved. And we'll know at harvest. And that's a scary thing for a lot of people because there are going to be many on that day that say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And he's going to say to them, get away from me, lawless one. I never knew you. See, that's where a Christian or a non-Christian or whoever you are, you need to examine yourself to see and ask God. And we have to make sure because Satan's going to get in there and he's going to say, hey, you doubt. A Christian shouldn't doubt. We should be living a repentant lives for him. And we will doubt if we are not living for him. That is the truth. So church, get into the word and let the word saturate your mind and keep learning. Keep learning. That will show you where you sit with God if you lack assurance. Because God, he will not lose his own. Oh, so if you're repentant, you're gonna get that peace back. If you're unrepentant, you're gonna be wondering the rest of your life. And finally, write this down. Make your response the word of truth. See, this is the word of truth. We need to use this when we respond to the world. When the enemy comes in, we respond using this tactic. And we have to make sure it says this. It says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of truth. This is God's word. This is what we use in battle. And we've got to make sure that we own it and we know it. See, the word there, often when we look at the word in the New Testament that says word, we think logos. And that's not the word that's used here. See, the Greek word is rame, or reme, excuse me. And reme means very simply a saying. We need to know the saying of God. What is God saying? And it needs to come out of our lips when we fight. That's how we win. We use this. We use God's word, and that will mobilize us to win. And so often we don't understand it, we don't get into it, and we get, pl we get played by other people because they might know the Word of God better. I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses, they know how to use this thing great on how to manipulate it great. It's very really sad because, you know, we think of Jesus, how he fought Satan. He used the Word when he was tempted in the desert, and Satan came back with the Word, but he fled from Jesus because he knew he was using it poorly and wrongly. See, people like to take the word of God out of context and use it for their benefit. One example might be in Galatians 3. And we, we studied this and we talked about this. And it, says, and it says, there is no Jew nor Greek, nor, you know, Jew, Jew nor Greek, or no male nor female, nor slave, nor free man. What is it saying? 
hey, we're all equals here. And people like to say, we're all equals in the church, so everybody should be able to do whatever they want in the church. But the context is clearly saying that they are all equals in terms of salvation. We are all the equal. In the context of that scripture, it's all salvation-oriented. You're saved. I'm saved. By the same way, we are made equal in front of God with sanctification. That's truth. But I'll tell you, as we read in, we, in our studies of Ephesians, there are different roles within the church of God. I mean, right now, I'm a man. I cannot have a baby, even though the culture wants to say differently. There is roles and there are differences. There's a role for a man. There's a role for a woman. There's a role for a free man. There's a role for a, a, an employer. There's, a, there's a, a, a role for a child. There are roles to play. We cannot listen to the culture or somebody who just thinks they know better. That's why Paul charges Timothy, he says, be diligent to present yourself, approved to God as a workman who does not be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. See, when we handle it, when we divide it, use it, and how it's supposed to be, it's like, it's like an agricultural term. As you're in there and you are working it and learning it, and it's a joy for you. But I, it's very sad because the majority of Christians, not our church, those other churches, they don't like to read the word of God. They just come, they hear a verse, and they leave. Church, we need to be these people that read. We need to read the word of God. Read it. It's a good thing to read. Why do we read other things? We'll go online and we'll just read anything on Instagram or, or whatever. But what about the word, the one that nourishes, the one that transforms? Because if you start reading it, don't just rush it. Because then I want you to meditate on it. See, meditate is a wonderful word. It's, it's a pondering. It's like, what do, you, what do you want from me on this? So often I'll be looking through a passage and I'll come to a verse and I'm like, whoa, that grabbed me. I gotta read that again. I wanna, I wanna sit on it. And then that so often turns to worship. Did you know that? You can worship the God with the, using the word worship. It's not just singing. How do I mean this? I, I mean like this. In, in Colossians chapter two, it says, when you are dead, in your transgressions, in the uncircumcision of your faith. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven all your transgressions and canceled out the certificate of death, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it away, having nailed it to the cross. I mean, that's worship. My God took my transgressions. The, the certificate of death. You know what that is? Is you were dead. You basically had a toe tag on you. You were in the morgue of life. And God said, no, I took, that, I took that toe tag off. I made you alive. The rest of the world is walking around with a little flappy on their toes. You're free. You're alive. What does that mean? To God be the glory because of the cross. That's that meditating and you're worshiping and you're saying, I am so excited. And what does that do? It, it inspires you to do this. Study the word of God. It drives you back to the word of God because you get joy from it. That's what a Christian needs to do. That's what a, a believer that, is, that is, wants to live a life of ready does. 
so they can be ready when the evil one comes, when those arrows come, when the schemes of the devil, the powers that be, influence our culture and want to influence you, you'll be aware of it because you have the helmet of salvation. You won't doubt. You'll have such faith. But it takes you preparing now. It takes you getting ready now. Back when we lived in Colorado, when my daughter was just five years old, we, were, we came across these two bucks, and this, they were rutting. And rutting is when, at, at, uh, at uh, the time when they are looking for a mate, they fight, they joust, using their antlers to see who is more dominant, who can get the female. And they, they fight and they joust and you'll see one will get parried back and the other will come after the other and they will fight and the winner generally is the stronger buck and the one who doesn't lose an antler because often antlers will be broken and fall off. But that battle is not won during the rut. That battle is won in the springtime. When that buck starts eating the right nutrients. He starts getting what those nutrients that make him stronger, that put the needed things into his body, the calcium he needs to make strong antlers so he can't cower back when he is lunged at. It's preparation. And church, Satan is going to come at the church and often he will come at you when you least expect it. And when you are not prepared, when you are not living in a lifestyle of ready, where will you be? But if you are, how will you stand? Will you stand firm? Will you stand ready? That is where the Christian today needs to live, a lifestyle of ready. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, thank you for this wonderful, challenging passage. The ability to put on this armor is just hours of coming before you complete in confession and knowing, God, that you are a God who supplies our needs. And we are men and women who need to walk forward in that faith, trusting you in your truth. So God, help us, we ask. We ask for more grace. We ask for more grace so that we can live the lives that you have called us to live. We ask that, God, we would be the righteous men and women that the world so desperately needs. As we battle this counterinsurgency, let us win souls. Let us touch hearts. Let us be lights in the darkness. Let us knock Satan off his game. Let there be victory. God, we know in the end you will be triumphant. You will be triumphal, God. But we know at this time there's going to be some difficult things. Help us to be strong. Lord, we love you. I pray for this church. I thank you for them and their heart for you. And God, I just ask that you would encourage them as they go, that they would be blessed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Well, we're going to worship, so please stand with us. If you need some prayer, we're going to have some prayer.